Hi, everyone. This is Nick, producer for the show. Thanks for tuning in to our inaugural episode. To kick things off, we'll be speaking with Justin Buldaji, a children's book author and 100% grass-fed dad from Seattle, Washington, about what makes Seattle, Seattle, the unwritten rules of graffiti culture, and his experience as a teen on the ground during the 99 WTO riots. You can order your very own copy of Justin's book, The T-Rex with Fluff, Who Wanted to Be Tough, at trexwithfluff.com. That's T-R-E-X-W-I-T-H-F-L-U-F-F dot com. Also, give us a follow on Twitter at HateThisTownPod for updates about the show. That's all I have for you today, so the last thing I'll say is this. Welcome to I Hate This Town, a podcast of love stories to the places we live. Today we're going to be joined by uh, children's book author and artist Justin Baldaji to talk about Seattle. Baldaji, Justin, actually, I hope I'm sorry. Baldaji, damn it! All right, already off to a terrible start. That's a good way of summing up Seattle, though. Yeah, there's a lot of going up, and there's a lot of uh, uh, old, not as much old architecture now, because like I said, it is changing very rapidly. So is it, is, oh yeah, isn't Amazon's headquarters in Seattle? Yes, very much so. Oh, spheres. <laughs> and their spheres, do you know their spheres in downtown I'll, Seattle? Uh, I've heard of the spheres. The Tell spheres. me more no. about that. I don't know if they spheres. call them globes or spheres, but there's two, it's weird because they're testicular, because there's just two big, Fucking balls in downtown Seattle, two big spheres right next to each other. So they're just—it's kind of unmistakably, you know, like a, a pair of balls. Um, and it's got all kinds of, you know, amazing plant life inside. Apparently, because it's only for Amazon employees. Uh, non-employees can schedule times to check it out, but if you're not an employee, it's not a place for you. It's—it's it's, it's a park for employees, though. I, I guess. That's so fucking. So they're weird. like. Giant terrariums, basically. Yeah, it's, it's it's two big terrariums with all kinds of I'm I, I get again from what I understand exotic plant life or at least plant life that you can look at in the dead of winter in Seattle. 
Yeah. So it's weird, yeah. And so there's that, and then there's all the buildings that they are building uh, throughout downtown and South Lake Union. Uh, they threatened to stop building those buildings. What was it? We were having a uh, employee tax for for the businesses with a lot of employees. There yes. was an employee tax. You guys, do you guys remember that? I do, I do remember yeah. hearing about this. And yeah, Amazon, uh, went Amazon full bore with their uh, baby tantrum. Yeah, they they were so they said they were just like we're shutting down construction on all these buildings. You know, oh, they're, all they're, they're all these unused buildings. What are you guys going to do? You guys are really going to vote vote yes on this bill? And so it ended up they voted no on the bill because strong armed them. They used everything in their power. They had you know city council people you know advocating for them. It was it was a shame, man. We uh, have run into a similar issue in Pittsburgh where our, um, if Seattle is run by Amazon, Pittsburgh is run by PNC and by UPMC, which is the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, which despite what it sounds like is not really actually affiliated with the university, it's basically its own giant mutant entity that runs like its own city within a city. They own like a vast percentage of the actual like properties in Pittsburgh because they're a nonprofit. There is a neighborhood in the city called Oakland. It's the second largest um, business district in the city outside of downtown. And Oakland is essentially a like, yeah, a city within a city run entirely by the three universities that are there. And then this giant nonprofit medical conglomerate whatever the fuck you want to call it that like yeah owns i mean and the buildings like they've reached the point that they of developing these buildings where it's like one almost undifferentiated mass of just developed controlled stuff they have their own police force and all this shit and it's basically like its own ecosystem completely inside of the city and like i was saying earlier essentially um uncontrollable by any of the local government like they don't pay any taxes to the city there's very little control over them they also uh, own the tallest uh building in the city downtown as well this is exactly like amazon yeah <clears throat> and PN pnc the bank is basically the same thing for downtown they have like three towers plus like seven other buildings downtown that are all controlled by the bank so it's not PNC is like PNC though is I, UPMC is is like an Amazon where like I, because they're a nonprofit and they have to reinvest. I mean, obviously, Amazon is not a nonprofit, but because UPMC is then they have to reinvest all of their three billion dollar a year profits, um, they buy property. They just buy things. And so like the city of Pittsburgh is like UPMC town. Right. Like you just can't escape it. They own everything. I imagine that's got to be what Amazon's doing, where it's just like you don't escape it. It is everywhere. Well, and they probably bankroll politicians. I mean, like like I mean, that's what Disney does in Anaheim. Uh, they have their giant parking structure, which is like a six or seven floor giant, giant parking structure that holds that can hold a, a, a day's worth of visitors. And the L.A. Times, I, I might have talked to you guys about this, but the L.A. Times wrote an article uh, a couple of years ago that um, basically exposing that they, they, they exposed that um, Disney pays a dollar in property taxes a year for the land that that uh, parking structure is on. They pay a dollar. Wow. It's too bad year. that education isn't like funded through property taxes or anything. Yeah. And it's just cause they bankroll, you know, 
politicians to help keep their costs down. I love those deals that sound like old cartoony, like, uh, oil baron things like a dollar like i'll, I'll control that <laughs> land for, i'll buy for a land doubloon. for a whole silver dollar yeah exactly. one buffalo nickel yeah exactly well let's see chap uh you want this land for a parking structure how does a dollar a year sound <laughs> so we're talking about seattle Justin, what do you think is the most culturally Seattle thing? If you had to like describe one weird quirk about the city. It's hard. It's, mm, I mean, there's so many cliched and stereotypical things like grunge and like coffee, but pop culture wise, uh, I don't, cause I grew up with it. The weed here is fa fabulous and it continues to be now a, as a legal state and Shout out to Seattle weed, honestly. West Coast kicking our asses. So, like it's, new it's weed out of hand is too now, strong. Man. It's like it's it, they're they are they're it's alchemic what they're doing. Yeah, here. no, I I have a friend. We joke all the time about like when you used to buy like like a fucking eighth of it, like an eighth, and it was twenty five dollars, and you just smoked for like the whole day, but you never really got high. I miss that weed. But now you just like smoke one hit, and you're just like, I'm dead. I'm done. The concentrate. <laughs> that's that's what that's. That's what I have shifted to as an adult, as a as a mature uh, grown up now. Only the only the extract for me. <laughs> I think it's organic. Yeah, I think I have a plan to bring this back around. Culture is cyclical, right? And so we went from having you know dirt weed, like it used to be in the in the '60s, you could do like a one hitter of what was essentially playground mulch. And that was radical enough for you that you wanted to like firebomb a draft office. Nowadays, <laughs> we've sort of like come to the point where everything is too scientific and medicinal. So what I think we need to do is just rebrand weed culture. And this is actually, we can start in Seattle and on the West coast for this because tech guys love microdosing. So all you need to say is, Hey, what if you microdosed weed? Weed, yes. Yeah, Genius. like it, it's a new. We're gonna bring back mids. It's gonna be more expensive. <laughs> bringing back, we're gentrifying mids for tech guys <laughs> who want to microdose weed. It's just all about rebranding. That's what everything is. That's what fucking Elon Musk's stupid subway tunnel is—the single car <laughs> fucking subway tunnel. Just rebrand it, and, and they'll eat that shit up. Are you guys getting that in Seattle? I, I would imagine I would imagine thing? it's in the plannings, but I don't not that I know of. I don't know. Uh, for reference, Owen was in middle school when I was buying twenty dollar cuts of weed <laughs> and like smoking like twenty four hours a day. Already with the ageism on this podcast. Listen, my just, man, you, just you because are a I'm a tiny baby. <laughs> I'm not even going to touch this. I I don't know. I think maybe I might be. What what ages are we? Maybe I'm not the oldest. We've got a good spread here. I'm I'm in the the lower end of my thirties. I'm thirty-two. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm in the upper I'm, end of my thirties, thirty-eight. I'm twenty-three. So oh. I know it's just not Bobby. appropriate. <laughs> I want to pinch your cheeks. I know, always, always the baby everywhere I go. Well, to to your credit, you've got a great head on your shoulders. At twenty three, I was I was not as capable and as intelligent and as uh, as uh, as uh, articulate as 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 you. Yeah, no, Thank I was Justin. fucking dumb That's as hell. Sweet. I was stupid as fuck, and I was just awesome. fucking up every chance I got. Every every opportunity. <laughs> every yeah. opportunity I had. Yeah. 
Yeah. If you could make, if there were two choices and one was like the clearly good choice and one was the clearly horrible choice that only had bad consequences. That harms you Always went with the second you. one. Yep. 100% of the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Took the road more traveled by. When I was 23, I lived in an apartment that was in a basement and there was a crack in the wall. So it just poured water into my apartment 100% of the time and my landlord wouldn't fix it. So I just didn't use that room. It was the only room. So I just lived in the, I lived on the couch. <laughs> he bought me a dehumidifier. That was the old punk house. The punk house basement when we got there had like, like a small crack in the plaster at about shin level when you got down in the, in the, you know, on the sidewall when you got down the stairs. And I, in the two years we lived there, that went from a small crack at shin level to essentially like, a gaping bulge the size of an, an entire person. We just, I don't think we ever said anything to the landlord about it. You know what I, you know what I remember doing? I remember putting um, Clorox disinfectant, mixing it with water and putting it into a spray bottle and just spraying the crack with it and going, well, this will get rid of any mold that grows in there. <laughs> Not really worried done. about like the wall collapsing, but I don't want mildew in my shitty basement. <laughs> Honestly, the wall collapses. There's a there's a set of problems. Yes, but you could breathe in spores. Right. Exactly. I mean, that seems like uh, that seems like a no brainer. Take See, care even, of the even when he was a scumbag. Owen was clever. Yes. He's a little boy. Considering those things that others might not. Meanwhile, I was just like, if I close the door, I won't die. Sleeping with your head on the mushrooms. <laughs> I think Somebody I'll wake in that up house tomorrow. Had to consider those things because the p other people that I lived with were truly just helpless. I remember this was when I was working at PNC, so I was actually out of the house all day, and the rest of my roommates were just like bumming around the apartment, or some of them were in school. And I remember getting, and they would only communicate through a fucking Snapchat group chat, which drove me insane. Oof. So I remember being at work. And just getting a Snapchat, a picture of the kitchen floor next to the trash can with ants everywhere, all around it. And the, the caption just read, we have ants. And I was like, <laughs> okay, can you go get some Raid or something? Like, spray it to kill them. No response for half an hour. Then I get another response. Don't worry, Kirby solved the problem. Kirby being one of my other roommates. And I text her, well, what do you mean? What did you do? And buddy, Ocean responds, oh, Kirby put his boots on and he stomped on all of the ants. Problem solved. <laughs> well, I think that except, gets the root, the root of the problem, I think. That's what an I got home. I got home. Those ants were, A, still alive. And the ones that were dead, they just left them on the floor. <laughs> like, when I say they stomped on the ants, that's all they did was stomp on the ants and then I just leave. Not even collecting and cleaning your hunt. <laughs> Just leaving it all behind. Maybe they were smoking that fucking good, good Seattle weed. Knowing them, it was, it was an acid house. So they were probably doing some shit. All of my roommates used to like um, do acid and then go to the uh, public library, which is a few blocks from us, and play with the like public use theremins, which what? actually sounds like a great way to spend the afternoon. Public use theremins? Yes. Yeah, they had like oh a music God. room with a theremin library, and like a bunch of synthesizers Our library has a synthesizer library in it. What? I've never yeah, heard of so this. Yeah, it's so fucking crazy. cool. What? Yeah, no, there's actually this like huge thing in you Pittsburgh. You guys, you, you said audio. it so like offhandedly, <laughs> casually, and so then he would go use the public theremins, you know, as one the does. theremin... <laughs> Having a theremin weekend just became very normalized for me, so I guess I didn't realize that it was 
unusual to other people. Legitimately, that's one of those weird things where I've always been like, damn, I'd love to play with one of those. Have no idea how I would ever get that opportunity. And here you are just dropping it like, (laughs) oh, we've got scores. We've got a room of theremins at the public library. Your your cup runneth over in Pittsburgh. It's the Pittsburgh's uh, analog synthesizer like society or organization, something. There's like an analog synthesizer group here. That's sick as hell. That's really genuinely like one of the cooler things I've heard in a while. It's very (laughs) cool. And you can take some small comfort in this. We have an amazing public library system because for a century we were dominated by um, bloodless steel barons who, you know. Yes, you were. Owned the entire city, basically. And you know, did many horrible things and killed lots of people. But when they died, left us gorgeous public libraries. And so uh, they also raised Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Well, but we got yes, a library. Like I said, uh, MJ, I covered that. I said they killed lots of people <laughs> and they also gave us some really nice public libraries. So Justin, in a few more decades, when Jeff Bezos passes away, uh, Y'all you will presumably library. get a synthesizer library out of it. And it'll all be worth it in the end. My posse's on Broadway. Me and Kit's in station at home away from home in the black Benz limo with a cellular phone. I'm calling up the posse. It's time to get to ripping. I'm freaking each sunroof to keep you suckers tripping. Everybody's looking. If you're jealous, turn around. The AMG kit keeps us closer to the ground. We're getting good grip. So, Justin, have you lived in Seattle your whole life? No. Uh, we, my mom and I moved here in 96, 1996, from the Outer Banks of North Carolina. So I've kind of bounded around a little. But I feel like I've been here. I think once you crack 20 years, you're a, you're a resident of a place proper. Maybe even 15, but 20 is a, a good safe. Weighing in on the philosophy side of things, they... Uh environmental theorists say it takes about 10 years to really know a place 10 years in a place to really get a sense of it yeah is what yeah i can buy that so you're locked in then you you officially have like credible status as a somebody from seattle yeah especially you have to pretend since i remember a a cool as hell seattle from the late 90s so i i can definitely like cite a time when seattle was cool as fuck like it had its drawbacks, but not like it has now. Like now, I can't can barely vouch for this place, but I'm still here. So, what was cool '90s Seattle like growing up in as a kid? Uh, again, like a lot of cities, uh, the the downtown was kind of a scary place to go. At least, you know, and I'm remembering from a middle school slash uh, freshman year in high school. So I was scared of a lot of things at that point, but it was definitely like a more uh, dangerous city. It wasn't as, you know, cl- there wasn't so many gaps and old navies and uh, all the, you know, downtown. There were peep shows on First Avenue, the Lusty Lady, shout out the Lusty Lady. That lasted a lot longer than, than anyone thought. That lasted well into like the tech boom, uh, but it unfortunately closed down a couple of years ago. But so yeah, stuff like that, stuff like gritty stuff that makes a city cool and the stuff that almost always goes first once a city starts to really grow and change. But that was definitely one, one thing about uh, late 90s Seattle. It's like, it's, I read this article a million years ago and unfortunately can't remember who wrote it or where it was, but basically the thesis was that there are two philosophies of cities. 
One is that inherently cities must be chaotic in order to be cities. That is what makes a city. And the other is that cities should be clean and function well. And they're inherently in like incongruous ideologies. Um, and that's like what urbanists want is a clean city that works well. And but, but like that strips all of the charm out of it. Like they all kind of end up looking the same at a certain point. I don't understand why people want that. I mean, it's like, like what's appealing about that? It's like Times Square. I got to, you know, go, getting to go to Times Square when I was a kid in the in the early, I think, 1990 or 1991. I went as a kid. Fucking just like touch and go, man. Like there was just so many things happening and it was all bootleg DVD. I remember the, the thing that sticks out in my mind the most was the bootleg video game spots in Times Square. Weird shit like that. And now Times Square is like a, is like a Disneyland style, you know? It's, it's all brands and yeah, Red Rock and Star. Yeah, it's fucking, it's weird. It's, it's, it was scarier now than it was when they were like, you know, the, the, the textbook like ne'er-do-wells and, you know. I very, I very vividly, like in middle school or whatever, because I grew up uh, in the D.C. area, so we would go up to New York to like go to Broadway plays. Yeah, yeah. I, I like distinctly remember being a kid and like walking from the theater to the subway with my dad, and like I remember passing all the strip clubs, like, and how, I just remember it being very dark. <laughs> like I remember Times Square being very dark. Yes. And now it's like. Poof, it's the middle of the day at three at in the all morning. times, right? It's awful. Right. It's absolutely terrible. I don't know if I, I I remember New York like the um the the shots in Taxi Driver where he's just got the camera looking out the windows and it's driving past like smut, fucking lewds, whatever you know, like the, the neon lights going by. That shit was yeah. There there was a there was a charm. Uh, same with Seattle. There was a charm and a a uh, vibe to it, man. There was a vibe to it that. Got, got sucked out of it that you can still find in a lot of the, um, like my neighborhood I live in specifically, the Seward Park neighborhood right by Columbia City-ish. There's still a lot of uh, minority businesses, Ethiopian restaurants, stuff like that. It's the south end of Seattle. It's known as the south end in Seattle. And that's, I, I still feel like, is one of the few pockets of the city that still has charm and, you know, uh, <laughs> The fact that there's there's still gangs in the South End, and God bless them, like you know, like it's it's just a thing of the city, and they it hasn't changed as much as the rest of the city has. Like Google, Google for instance, there was a neighborhood Fremont. That, Fremont is where the Lenin statue is in Seattle. Uh, Fremont was cool as hell. I used to live there. Really, just it's one of those um, when somebody describes Seattle like back in the day as like artists uh, it's an artist's uh, enclave and a lot of you know like it's a funky uh, neighborhood and i normally hate hearing shit like that but fremont legitimately was back in the day and then google moved in right because fremont is right on a canal and google moved their headquarters in right on the canal and then like within a year's time all the rents had gone up in fremont everything changed fremont also used to be kind of grimy a sort of a grimy area but then Everything, there were no more abandoned areas down there anymore. Everything got bought out because all the rents went up. Everybody needed to be down there. And then it's just, it was unlivable. All the, you know, yeah, it, it, got, it got destroyed. It got, it got ransacked. And that's the majority of the city right now, in my opinion. It's a tired argument, but it's the truth about Seattle. Right? I mean, it's, yeah, like, like so I moved, I moved to Pittsburgh in 2006. And, like, the city looks 
uh, <laughs> about as different as it could from the city I moved into. So like our big hip neighborhood that all of the Uber dudes want to live in is called Lawrenceville. And when I moved to Pittsburgh, Lawrenceville was sketchy as fuck. Like you did not want to be in Lawrenceville. Um, there was like, uh, what it, my friend used to say, it was just Belvedere's and sweatpants hookers. Was Lawrenceville like, was like famously the uh, incredibly white track. Yeah. Um, that was what and, it, it was like renowned for that. And now it's like, it's like $500,000, 1500 square foot row house, like insanely expensive. And like, you know, I didn't, I didn't know Lawrenceville well enough to miss it, but like even Bloomfield, the neighborhood that I did live in for a really long time, like it's not even completely gentrified yet. And it's still like bizarre to be there because all of the like very weird things that like endear you to a place just don't exist anymore so your your connection to that place is like i don't know i used to like it here <laughs> it's, it's the bizarro it's like the bizarro world version of the place you remember i mean yeah, if you want like, to talk about bizarro world versions of place to give you an idea of what lawrence feels like pittsburgh has a relatively thriving film industry lots of hollywood productions come to shoot here to oh dark stuff. night right dark night's the famous one that everyone knows but there's a bunch of them that use Pittsburgh kind of on the down low in the same way that um forget it's either I, Vancouver, Vancouver gets for used sure. as a lot as well. So uh, one of the famous uh, places to shoot or one of their, their, not famous, one of their favorite places to shoot is on Butler Street in Lawrenceville, the main drag. And just fucking just call it Bushwick. Just say that it's Brooklyn. Just say it's Williamsburg. Yeah, that pickle uh, movie with Seth Rogen in it. They that all of the tracking shots of Brooklyn are Butler Street. It was just this Williamsburg. They'll like change the signs out, the street signs out real quick for a day and shoot there and save themselves a bunch of money from having to travel to New York. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing you guys have better like film uh, laws for film productions, I'd assume. It's a big tax credit. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, I guess what I was gonna get, what I was getting at, is like a lot of times anymore, cities feel like they, like they're carbon copies of each other, and that's like when you live in a place for a long time, like you fall in love with the weird things that don't work well, right, <laughs> like, right, or are broken because they give the place its distinct character. But when everything looks the same, like and if everything has the same like square gentrification chic architecture, like. What do you, what, then, like, what differentiates any place from any other place? I don't know, the fucking tapas restaurants? Like, that font, that font that you see on every new building, you know, the, 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 Helvetica new. Yeah, Yeah. is that what it is? The one that's on everything. Sans serif metal. Uh, it's like floating really skinny out and from the edge of the building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's always so, floating. So got, it's floating off the building. It's, yes. <laughs> right. You've got four signifiers, right? Uh, if you see these four things, uh, your, your rent is going to go up <laughs> next year. And they are uh, sans serif metal door numbers that are like floated off the floated building. Off the building. Um, pressure treated horizontal slat wooden fencing, mm-hmm. milk glass garage door panes. Or and, even just the front um, door, the, the frost. Door. Or the yeah. front door. If the, the front door is like that, you're in trouble too. Uh, and then finally, speaking of front doors, uh, if the front door is painted a bright color. You're in big trouble. As like, like opposed to the rest of the house, the rest of the house could be gray, and then the front door is yellow. Right? Yeah. No, the floor is always gray. Look how crazy we're fucking crazy. Look at this. That's definitely a Seattle thing. Like weird. <laughs> what is rental housing like in Seattle? I'm not talking about you know rental price or anything, but what's just like 
What's the housing stock like? <laughs> Let me get out my portfolio. What do you get for your buck in Seattle? Uh, sure. Yeah, you can tell me that. Or just like um, Pittsburgh's got a lot of row houses, but I don't know how they do it out on the West Coast if that's different because ours are all old steel worker houses, basically. Yeah, they're basically trying. I mean, they're tearing down. They're, they're just rebuilding Seattle. And like you said, like in the cube house style. Uh, that's generally what the new look is. There's a lot of uh, older... Uh, there's not a lot of brick buildings in Seattle, honestly. There's some brick building neighborhoods, but it seems like they're, they're, just, they're, they're leveling a lot of stuff just to put up like, the cubes. It's all cubes. Well, you've got, your, you've got your living cubes and your garden ball. Yeah, oh yeah. In there's so You're many break shapes. Everything down to it's so much city of shapes. Yeah, the city of shapes. No wonder you wrote a kids book. I'm waiting. Shapes I'm, everywhere. Yeah, shapes everywhere. That's gonna be the title of my next one. <laughs> We're waiting on the Seattle pyramid, uh, the the black pyramid <laughs> to come next. We have the space needle. Yeah, there you That's go. Shape, I suppose. Needle. Maybe you can petition Bass Pro Shop to build a second pyramid in Seattle. That'd or or the Luxor. Does Trump own the Luxor? I don't think I don't so. Think so. Um, I think well, he did, I think he did actually, at like, one point. Makes maybe. money. Yeah, I was going to say, the Trilluxor actually makes money. There's no way he owns it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think maybe he only owns stuff in, uh, in Atlantic City. I think that's what it was. And they Probably. Lost money. Yeah, Jeff Bezos is just going to build like a dark marble obelisk. Yeah, that, yeah I'm surprised I haven't, I, that hasn't gone up in Seattle yet. One thing I just read about is that uh, apparently, this was just from a couple months ago, Amazon is interested in purchasing... The Cinerama Theater in Seattle, which is, without a doubt, the best theater in the city. I, I just hold it in the highest esteem. It's a fabulous theater. Paul Allen, the, the deceased billionaire, rest in piss, fucking, he did, to his credit, bought it in the late 90s and re, uh, refurb, renov, renovated it. And it was fabulous when it was done. It's my favorite place to see movies. But now it's closed down because of covid and so I saw a news article that said that Amazon was looking possibly to purchase the theater. And then that starts to get grim because if Amazon were to own a theater with, I was thinking about this with, uh, who was it? Warner Brothers is putting all their movies online this year. What would, then would it just be a theater that shows like prime content? And would that yeah, be the future? Yeah, you can go watch The Mandalorian oh, in wow. theaters. Yeah, and only that, like, you know, or whatever they've made a deal with. You're not going to see these other movies, but you can go to the theater still to see fucking The Boys Emily or whatever. Emily Harris or, yeah. Yeah. So if they do, if they do buy that theater, I think it's going to be, that's what, like, the future of entertainment is going to look like. Or theater oh, going God, specifically. That's, that's very grim. That's some hardcore vertical in it was for something because How that, that came legal? up because somebody bought the Egyptian theater in Bev uh, in Hollywood, Beverly Hills, wherever the Egyptian theater is. Some yeah. media conglomerate like Netflix. I think it was Netflix. It may have been. Don't quote me on any of this. <laughs> I'm half remembering things. But it was, something, it was something like that where some media platform bought a beloved local theater and it kind of gives you a pause like, wait a minute, what for, you know? And then with that kind of rumored Amazon again, and then just like you said, like buying up property, buying up places and buying up the city, physically the city itself. That's what it's going to be like uh, RoboCop. It's going to be Amazon, Amazonia, Seattle. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's strangely enough, Detroit already is sort of like RoboCop where you have the Quicken Loans Arena, everything else around it. 
and then like the Quicken Loans Police Force. Right, and then they and all then just, changed like, every couple of years. Like we had Safeco Field just became T-Mobile Park now. So it's like, it's just, it switches out, switches hands every couple of years. Didn't you guys just get a corny name for uh, your new like hockey arena? Is oh, it's so Amazon dumb, the Kraken. The mythical... What's the name of the arena, though? Oh, I don't know the arena. What is the arena? I don't know. Do we have an I arena? I thought it was called something. Maybe maybe this was just like a plan for it. Yeah, I it's not. It's definitely not arena. been built yet. They want to build it, but I don't know if they have a name for it. Oh, there, Amazon had talked about something. The Amazon Climate Pledge Arena. That's yes. what I remember hearing about. You just logged. I tried no. to block that shit out. Yes, you're absolutely right. Absolutely I, not. That was, I don't know if that was like finalized, but that was definitely like, eh? What if we just name this fucking hockey rink that? Then you guys will shut up, I think, right? I think it's funny. I think more places, like more incredibly wealthy companies, when they buy shit like that, they should just be like, um, the PNC Good People Park. It's so like, cynical we're, that I we're almost doing nice respect things. it. I almost yeah, respect no. it because it's such a big middle finger to everyone that I'm almost like, all right, the hats off. That, In, that's yeah. fucked. Good job. That's ha, 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 you got us. Uh, I'm going to put a pin in this so we can uh, do a segue in a second and also so I can uh, step away to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back, okay? Can I also... Bye. Step away yeah. really yes. quick? Okay, I'll be we'll right call back. call this a break. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nick, insert music here. Tall and tan and young and lovely the girl Go from me goes walking and when she dances when she walks just like a samba that swings so cool and sways so gently that when she passes it I'm still thinking about that fucking Proud Boy who was like, I'm eating 80 grams of protein a day to crush Antifa. It's like 80 grams of protein a day. Watch out. Bitch. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I'm a fucking vegan. I eat 90 to 150 grams of protein a day without driving. More animal than man. Jesus. I know. Right? 80 <laughs> whole grams of protein. My God. Dear God. <laughs> Primal. <laughs> Also, his legs are like little shrimpy legs. This <laughs> seems like a good amount. Squeezing Antifa skulls by doing three bicep curls a day. That's actually my regimen is lifting Antifa <laughs> skulls. <laughs> I think you guys are being really mean by making fun of him for not having good legs. He had to skip leg day to go to one of those uh, jumping things where they beat you up. Yeah, like he had his initiation. Cereal, what the f- Fuck. I saw a clip that is of that. the corniest shit. I had never actually seen it. I had read about, it, but I saw a clip recently, and I just wanted to crawl out of my fucking skin. It's the stupidest. It's just like a bunch of kids playing around. It's the saddest thing I've ever seen. When I see them punch, they're like, "Oh, their punches are so funny, little rabbit punches." <laughs> they, yeah, they're little rock 'em sock 'em yeah, robots. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The the cereal thing is so funny because it is exactly. 
the kind of thing I remember like talking to my friends about in like fifth or sixth grade. If you, you know, like me, if you grew up in the suburbs and you're like, oh yeah, I heard that like gangs to become a member of the gang, they all kick the shit out of you and you have to name cereals. And then you like, you and your friends pause for a minute and you all try to think of oh, some what would I names. do? Yeah. And in your, head, in your head, you're like, oh, I could do that. Damn. Yeah, the entire, <laughs> the entire concept is like, it sounds like something passed down from somebody's older brother. Uh, yeah, it's the stupidest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> it's urban legend shit. It's like middle school urban legend. Anybody, like, listen, anybody who says DSA is corny, like, come on. Well, and you know, let it, let this it is, not, this let is it, the fucking enemy. <laughs> let it not be forgotten that the entire name is taken from a fucking deleted Aladdin song. Yes. <laughs> The yeah, fucking from crowd the, boy. I, I, from the live. It's, it's not parody, even, I don't man. think it's deleted. It's from the, it's, that's the worst part. If it was deleted from the movie, that would be one thing. It exists. It's from the it's musical. From the musical. <laughs> oh shit, was it? Oh, adaptation. I thought it was a deleted one from the movie. No, it's a song from the musical. Even better. I know. That's Gavin McInnes is like, I need to prove to people that I'm a real man. So I'm going to name my white nationalist gang after an Aladdin song. And we're going to talk about cereal. But it's not from also, the fucking cartoon. Talk. Yeah, exactly. It's not from the cartoon. It's from the musical. We, I don't even watch cartoons. That's for kids. It's from the fucking Broadway play, man. I watch musicals and I eat cereal, bitch. Captain Crunch. <laughs> Honey Smack. I want to see one of those dudes get actually jumped into like Pyru Bloods or some shit like that. <laughs> just their faces just fucking caved in. That'd be nice. Somebody needs to go back in time to like 2004, 2005 and just like nip the vice shit in the bud. Really? The, we like, would have really been Brooklyn. a lot better off, I think. All Honestly, the Brooklyn, we would have. Like early hipster shit that metastasized into just. Metastasized. White <laughs> Yeah, whatever I said. <laughs> Metastasis. That worked for Doing me, man. Great. I didn't even care. I was like, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Doing great. MJ, you gotta just let me ride here. No. The only thing good that has come out of Vice is the Timothy Faust article about playing the boys in back of town on a bar jukebox until he got kicked that out. That was, was a very good idea. So we were talking about um, like cartoonists earlier, but this is something Justin, you and I sort of discussed in the planning for this is um, graffiti culture in Seattle and like doing graffiti shit and what that's like in the city. And I have some idea of what graffiti in Pittsburgh is like, but I'd be interested to hear what it's like in your city. And yeah, I think for you one probably thing, have a much better understanding than I do. It's making a big resurgence right now during COVID, man. There's a lot of young kids just absolutely crushing this city right now. And I couldn't be happier. Really nice to see. Bunch of like, bunch of names I hadn't heard, you know, there's a bunch of new kids. You can tell it's a bunch of new kids trying out graffiti for the first time. Rad, it's awesome. There's a, Seattle, like another thing that was different in the late 90s was a lot of graffiti, a lot of graffiti writers, big graffiti writers that I looked up to. And now there's, it feels like that again. I don't know if it's because of COVID or just it naturally would have happened anyway. It's probably a little bit to do with COVID and like a, you know, reduced police presence and all the shit that's going on in Seattle this year. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's looking, the city's looking f fabulous again, but, uh, yeah, in the nineties, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty awesome. I came up doing that, uh, for all the good and bad that it's, that it uh, brings along with it. Does Seattle have like a unique style of graffiti writing or like something that kind of like sets apart? Like when you think of New York, you think of like the big bubble letters, yeah. 
like on the subway car. Yeah, I think there's uh, Seattle uh, is very much li- there. There's um is very much like that as well. There is a it's more of a a nationwide thing. Graffiti itself kind of goes through phases, specifically like American graffiti, where European graffiti is very colorful and they do 3D a lot, and it's very like there's an artistic flair to it. Whereas in America, I don't want to speak for all graffiti writers, but there's definitely a uh, more love of uh, there's a bigger love for that New York style, like you're saying, big bubble letters that aren't complex and aren't you know uh, super because you have to do it quick and it's about doing it big and doing it all over and that's what Seattle has kind of uh, historically been, at least in my opinion. That that's what I like. So I'm not. <laughs> it's a subjective thing, so that's what I look out for. But yeah, there's a, there's a there's a love of like just the the dirtier, uh, simple as they call them throw ups. And you do the big bubble letters or just tags, stuff like that, that, yeah, I've always loved. It's just There's pure that. vandalism, baby. It's, 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 it's wonderful. <laughs> it's what attracted me to it as a teenager, obviously. There's a friend of mine. Um, well, I, I guess I shouldn't call him a friend of mine. He's, he's a friend of a friend who I know uh, who was a graffiti writer in Spain in the 90s um, in Newpy. And he lives in the States now. He's a tattooer. But I see some of the shit that he would throw up like really fast and it's like 12 fucking colors, the size of a human being. And like the Spanish National Police are no fucking joke. Like they are scary motherfuckers. So like this dude was facing like hard jail time for graffiti writing. Like if he got caught and he would make these just absolutely insane fucking pieces in like five minutes. I, it's one, like, it's wild to me. This is another reason why I hate shit that uh, Banksy does. The stencil art, I really don't like stencil art because it goes against that whole idea of like, there's the, there's the artistry itself. Like you have to do it uh, uh, technically sound, but you are also breaking the law and you have to be aware of your surroundings and you have to make it still look legible and look good. Yeah, I don't. I just hate that stencil shit because there's there's not that that re- that removes that entirely because you're just not to say that there's not room for that, but when that's your sole shtick, I don't like it. I don't respect it. The graffiti world, kind of as a whole, doesn't respect that. Well, it takes some of the like art of the crime out of yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, there's a there's an element, there is a purpose to the illegality of graffiti, right? That separates it from just say doing like street murals. There's street art, as they call it, street art. Yeah. Pittsburgh comrade Brian Ganella um, recently struck a deal with this uh, brewery and they opened up a free wall. So now, yeah, like, so they had like an opening day, but he was saying like there were kids he'd never seen before coming out to like practice and like fuck around on this wall. And like, I just thought that was so cool. That's so rad. And we, we had a couple of free walls growing up in Seattle uh, that I don't, uh, as far as I know, they're, they're, I don't know, you know, I'm out of the scene now. There may very well be, but we had a couple around the city and it was such a great outlet to learn and get better and to just, to, to do art without having to worry about cops and shit. And oftentimes these legal walls were like, cause some business owner in the shit part of town was like, yeah, I don't fuck, whatever, man, leave <laughs> me alone. We're like, cool. And so we go out and just paint on it. And so you'd be in the sketchiest part of town. We're like 15, 16. And we're just, you know, trying to paint and make art. And there's, you know, gangbangers watching us. And they're always like, hey, man, it's fucking great work. And we're like, cool, word up. You know, awesome. Thanks. Everybody's getting along. <laughs> Don't hurt me. <laughs> yeah. 
Did you ever have any run-ins with cops while you were still in the scene? Yeah, uh, uh, a couple times, never anything where I actually got, like, roughed up. A couple friends of mine had gotten actually, like, fucked up by cops before. Um, I had only ever just, you know, gotten barked at by them. I was never actually caught in the crime of doing graffiti, so I was never... That's when they will kick the shit out of you. They can catch a tagger. Cops love catching tag. Cops have like this fucking bloodlust for taggers because they're usually kids and they're they're doing property damage. And what greater fucking you know sin could there be? So it's just an easy target for cops. It's a little like it's the Goomba in a Mario game for cops. Uh, a fifteen year old tagger, <clears throat> There's not this, hurting uh, anybody. Yeah, just totally like harmless crime yeah, that what, does what nothing. Yeah. yeah, but they get a hard uh, on for that for sure. It's their favorite thing. Uh, there's this street that's like at the bottom of Owen's neighborhood. Um, and it's uh, it's called Juniper Street. It goes through this like kind of, it used to be an access road for the brewery. Uh, but since the brewery closed, it's basically abandoned. Uh, there were like some car parts, factories, like all this shit's abandoned. But it's a street with nothing except for abandoned factories and railroad tracks. And like... I was walking down there at the beginning of um, COVID and the Pittsburgh Graffiti Task Force had put stickers up all over everything and people just tagged right the fuck over it. Because it's like, it's like call 412, whatever the fuck, um, to report graffiti. And it's like, know your audience, my guy. Fuck off over it. Yeah. yeah, There's no one down there. The only people that go down there are me when I go for my walks because I live in the area. And people down there to, you know, make mischief. To fucking write graffiti. <laughs> right. <laughs> These are all abandoned buildings anyway. Yeah. It's like, like, the, it's like down in the valley. It's like the industrial valley section separating two neighborhoods. It's just We used to tracks. play Antifa super. We used to play Antifa soccer games down in the flat part after Food Not Bombs. There you go. That's some Back old, in 2009, baby. <laughs> that's some old school Pittsburgh left history right there. It's, Antifa soccer in the industrial valley. I didn't actually play. I just like got high and watched. I'm not athletic. We, uh, I am, uh, and I'm saying this on recording now, but I'm declaring war on the uh, Pittsburgh Department of Public Works because somebody at the major intersection of my neighborhood, there's like five main streets that all meet, on the side of a big wall just wrote, Welcome to Garlic World on it. No other explanation. This is Pittsburgh's all. Little Italy, by the way. Yeah, it's the like ethnic Italian neighborhood. And, and somebody uh, crashed a car twice into the sign that said "Welcome to Little Italy." Oh, well, we can get to that. But <laughs> somebody wrote, somebody just wrote "Welcome to Garlic, welcome to garlic World, on World" on this wall, and people were really fucking into it. Everyone was like, "Yes, welcome to Garlic World." That's right. <laughs> and fucking Department of Public Works covered that shit up within two days. So immediately, somebody else went back out there and wrote "Welcome to A Cab World." on it and that was up for like less than 12 hours <laughs> but this is my official declaration of war on the department of public works for not letting beautiful garlic world live in the world persistence for- is what will win out the one thing that will deter a graffiti writer fast is a quick painting over of something they've done but the graffiti writer can win by being persistent it's about breaking the spirit of the other party first <laughs> <laughs> it's like fighting bed bugs yeah exactly well, you know what the war fair, of attrition. Yes, exactly. There are more of us because the anti-graffiti task force is like three guys with a <laughs> truck know. and like a bucket of gray paint. Well, and also just drives around the city. <laughs> it's so easy to convert 
I, one of the more beautiful things is when I'm with somebody who's drunk, who's never done graffiti in their life, and I have a pen on me or something, a drunk person takes to graffiti so quickly. If you give them a can, even a can of paint, they'll be like, yeah, let's go ahead. And then they'll get that, they'll feel that rush, and they'll, and they'll, and they'll try it out for the first time. It's one of my favorite things to see somebody do it, and they, they get that moment of like, holy shit, this is fun. This is fun I'm as Bart fuck. Simpson, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a dog shit tiger i suck at writing but like that was my fucking like or that was my 20s was just like you get hammered at the bar across the street from your house on the way to your friend's house who has cocaine and more beer because the bar is closed you just fucking write on everything and honestly yeah and then you wake up the next day and you see it all and you're like oh some of my favorite graffiti (laughs) i don't like traditional tags with like arrows and like cool things Mm -hmm. it's when somebody just does their handwriting and it says like freddy or something like that (laughs) the best graffiti in the world or like lucky linda or something (laughs) yeah that's your those are my favorite there is no bad graffiti honestly unless it's somebody again trying to do like the hip-hop letters and shit that's bad i i take i will be jaded on this one thing somebody in my neighborhood has just been going around with a red can of paint and just writing i miss you i love you on every oh, it's conceivable bad. surface i that don't they like can. art expressions it's, like that it's, stuff it's like too, that it's too corny yeah here's my cringe. fucking cringe, beef bro. with them it is cringe and they sprayed over the tag on the bloomfield bridge and just said i love anal oh, there's, beef. <laughs> there's beef now i love anal's coming for that ass literally <laughs> and figuratively so, <laughs> So shout out to whoever went back with black spray paint and took every I miss you, I love you tag and wrote over it like, I fucking hate you. Yes, that I was hope I you love die. anal. He was pissed. <laughs> Somebody they had a big Somebody loves the anal and they are out for blood. They're, they're mad. There now. was a, so they had the they had the big I miss you, I love you tag on the bridge. And somebody in red paint, somebody took a big can of black paint and just went over it with stupid hipster bullshit. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's sort, of something, of... There, there's sort of something like that in Seattle. Somebody was writing, probably still does, but Sissy's Rule. And it's just really like, I, I, I would see it everywhere. It's done really poorly. And it would just was so obnoxious. And then so people started crossing it out and, you know, writing like, shut up, nerd, shit like that. I don't know. Derogatory <laughs> shit. It's like, yeah, right on. <laughs> there's, I have a great story lo- about, oh, sorry. No, go. no I'm sorry. Uh, local graffiti stuff. This just jogged something in my mind. In the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, there was somebody that was going around the uh, stop for me. It's the law with the walking pedestrian, those yellow signs. They would simply put, stop for me, it's the, and put a C, it's the claw. And they put a claw on the pedestrian's hand and then an exclamation point. So it just said, stop for me, it's the claw. And the guy had a claw on his hand. Made me laugh every time I would see it. It got, it was all around the city. It's one of those weird little Seattle things that like nobody knows about outside the city. Hysterical. To this day, I think about it, it makes me laugh. Stop for me. It's we, the claw. That's so fucking awesome. I love fucking whimsical shit like that. Uh-huh. Like the like the Tony B tiles. We have a couple downtown. What are the Tony the, B tiles? The or Toyn Toyn Toy whatever. Toyn it was B. these Toyn B. Toyn B. They're these mysterious tiles oh, that started no, showing up. These. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Though. Yeah, we have two downtown. What are they again? So Did those you... are actually not real Toyn B tiles. Really? I didn't know Let that. Me... Let me educate you all because I am obsessed with these things and I went through the history of these. Yeah, I vaguely remember this. For our listeners that don't know, Toynbee tiles are these um, 
essentially they are asphalt murals that began popping up in like the I want to say the 70s, late 70s are some of the earliest, but don't quote me on that. It could be wrong. 70s, 80s, 90s. These things start popping up in Philly. Tons of them. And what they are, and nobody really knew this at the time, but what they are is they're chunks of linoleum and vinyl composite tile pressed into asphalt filler and roofing paper and then pressed like in reverse down onto hot asphalt. As cars drive over them in the same way that like a penny gets impacted into the road, these get pressed down into the asphalt. The tar paper on the top wears away and reveals the message. By the time the message is revealed, it's completely embedded. Like you would have to repave the road to get rid of it. That's so fucking cool. So It's so cool. Nobody knows who did it. These things start popping up in Philly, like I said, in like the 70s. It's still a mystery. Like nobody knows who this person was. They think they have an idea of who it was, but it's never been confirmed because the guy died. And they're all insane. Like whoever was writing them obviously like had some shit going on because it's all this stuff about like resurrecting the dead on planet Jupiter and like don't trust the media and like watch Stanley Kubrick's 2001. Yeah, a lot, I'm looking at him right now. A lot of 2001 uh, shout outs from this guy, from whoever it was. Yeah. And so they think the way he was able to do it and get away with it is because he had a car with a hole cut in the bottom of the car and oh, he would drive God. around at night in the summer while the asphalt was still hot. He'd drive around at night, he'd pull up at a stoplight, and while the light was red, he'd reach down through the hole in the bottom of the car put the thing down, and then drive off. And that's how no one was able to catch him. But these things started popping up in Philly, and then all up and down the eastern seaboard. So it Apparently, started in Philly? Yeah, there used to be like a, well over 100 of them in Philly. Most of them are gone now. Pittsburgh had a couple, and none of the originals remain. And for the longest time, uh, nobody knew how the, this guy was doing it. He actually left a Rosetta Stone in Pittsburgh that was like a larger tile that essentially explained how you do it. And ironically enough, the tile he left got damaged uh, and it was like incomplete instruction, but people were able to piece together how to recreate it. The, the two that are downtown, because one was near where my job was when I worked at PNC. Yeah, it's, it's right there near recreations. the... Recreations. The, tri- the parking garage. Yes, by the parking garage. They're recreations. They're known as House of Hades tiles and they're not originals but they're like done in the same style they are beautiful and they're absolutely works of art and more people should try to get into that medium the only problem is it's like difficult to do and getting your hands on colored linoleum and like good vct tile can be hard to come by this that's something i love that that's like um uh innovation in the field of graffiti of vandalism of putting a message or your name or something up on public property or private or whatever putting it up in public so that people can see it and that it doesn't get taken away that's the whole idea of graffiti wow what a pioneer man what a legend whoever and, and i just saw i just saw it said it might have been a movement too of people and not just a person either way it's shout out that's possible because apparently and what they believe is an original, like at least two made it as far as South America. Yeah, I just saw that. Like there yeah. were some in Brazil. Yes, so that's incredible. Wow. It's nuts. And, I mean, but that's um, like, that's what's and, so cool about graffiti and street art in general. Like all kinds of different street art is that like, because again, a city is a living, breathing thing. It's comprised of the people who live in it at that time. But like 
a piece of graffiti or a piece of street art like makes your part of that city like public and permanent for the time that it's there. So like in one hand, it's transient. It can be painted over. The building can get torn down, whatever. But for the time period that it's there, right? Like you are embedded in the place that you are. You're like you are literally embedded in it because your name is there. Yep. yep. And that's another reason I dislike, sorry to come back to it, but Banksy because when he does something like that and puts his message up, then people lose their minds and rush out to put you know, plexiglass around it. And then they sell the wall. They demolish the building that it's attached to, protect the wall and sell it for millions of dollars because now Banksy has grown pat. He can't, he can't participate anymore. You know what I mean? Right. It's, Same gr- with Shepard Ferry. Yes, exactly. Exactly. They, they are now brands. They are their own conglomeration conglomerate and they cannot participate in the uh well it's it's the, the, act, the renegade the art act form. of graffiti yeah. or vandalism there's this there's this very iconic piece of graffiti in dc uh over the cno canal that just says save dorothy no one knows what it means they've painted over it 20 times Every time they paint over it, somebody just writes oh, it back up right again. On. Save Dorothy. Yeah, no, it's like a tradition. An idea <laughs> that Dorothy. has lived on, even though nobody knows what that idea nobody is. Nobody knows what it means. <laughs> Do you remember? I, cause I, so I grew up uh, outside of D.C. when I was a kid. And my dad still lives there. Uh, when my parents separated, I moved away from D.C. But there was Cool Disco Dan. Do you remember Cool Disco Dan in the 70s and 80s? Or have you ever seen pictures of that? He was no. up a lot in D.C. And he just wrote it out in just a very legible style cool disco dan and it's still to this day one of my favorite graffiti names that's I've ever so heard. fucking cool yeah he was that's a, he such was a great legend. name legend. there was there actually was I, I mean again since i was a child million like millions of years ago didn't know what it meant but there was an original andre like shepherd fairy andre the giant on this uh like it, it's on canal road so like for my parents house in the suburbs you take key bridge across into the city and you end up on canal road and one of the bridge overpasses on Canal Road, like right when you turn uh, to go up, big old Andre the Giant. Did not know what it was when I was a fucking child, but like, yeah, it was there forever. I'm sure they painted over it by now. Speaking of um, your stop, it's the claw thing, like very local specific graffiti. We have one, which I love, and I don't think there's a lot of them left anymore because I think a lot have been removed or painted over. Um, it is a stencil. But uh, Pittsburgh's uh, football team is the Steelers. S-T-E-E-L-E-R-S. Well, somebody has a stencil that they throw up that says, Go Steelers. S-T-E-A-L-E-R-S. And it's these like stick figure guys, like shoplifting shit from a cart. And they throw that stencil up all over the place and it rules. It cracks me up every time I see it. That rocks. I, lo- I love stuff like that. I, it's more when like, like Banksy's whole thing is stencils, I, but you know, and, and they're worth millions of dollars. I, I just don't, I don't like it. Yeah. Stencils no can fun. be awesome. Don't get me wrong. That sounds cool as hell. I never got much into doing like graffiti stuff, but on days when my boss was in the office less and no one was paying attention, I would use the printer to just print out tons of copies of like, flyers and shit for people to wheat paste or just like free paper baby just anything yeah Yeah, i mean paper is expensive and once you're out of once you're out of college you don't have the printer budget you gotta do what you can't steal from your offices and back to stealing from your job Uh, speaking speaking of local artists just to say uh sadly owen um 
I threw up a, a an OHIP original at my local dive where I get the good tacos in the men's restroom on the... Um, uh, was it the abolish ice or the kill is Bolsonaro? Kill Bolsonaro still, save the rainforest <laughs> is. Uh, I still have one of those that hasn't been unpeeled. I same I, same. I, I, I still I, have I'm one. Just, I'm just holding Fucking it. Shout out! Those are very rare now. I think I have ten left in my possession, Ooh. and most of the ones that have been t- put up around the, the very controversial message. So most of the ones I've put up around the city or that other people have are. are long yeah, long. yeah, yeah. I went back a couple weeks later and it got taken down. And the thing is, is this is like a dive. It's like seventy-five cent pool. Like, 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 super great place. Super great food. Super divey. Bathroom is covered in stickers. Like the the I put it on the towel dispenser because it was already no. I put it on. Sorry, I put it on the condom dispenser because it was already covered in like a shit ton of stickers. Like a couple weeks later, it was gone. I was like, damn, it must be. It must. Literally... I bet you somebody took it off to keep it. <laughs> Maybe so, so legit. So like that's I a cool ass sticker, man. I bet you somebody wanted that. So I put one of those up. This sticker, out of any of the stickers that I have produced and distributed to people, that one pissed people off more than anything else because I put one up near my house and somebody was mad enough about that they took the time with a pen knife to cut it apart and then repaste it so that it just said "kill the rainforest." So, and I was like, "Man, you motherfucker!" You have a bunch of like Brazilian nationalists, like Bolsonaro <laughs> maniacs in yeah, your neighborhood. Apparently I, I've off the yeah, apparently, Bolsonaristas. Yeah, Brazilian far right in Pittsburgh, which is a thing that exists. It's still, it's still there on the punk rock mailbox of Polish Hill, man. Well, I love that. Thank God for Polish Hill and the punk rock mailbox. I was going to say, that is my, my story alive. about like community care and graffiti. So I worked at this cafe for a long time that um, is in the punk neighborhood in Pittsburgh. And there's this like patio on the outside that's concrete because it goes up a hill. Uh, and one night there was somebody in town who is friends with a local graffiti writer. And he got drunk and he tagged the coffee shop. And I didn't even know about this, right? So, like, I hadn't worked that night. I didn't see anything. I hadn't been to the cafe. I'm at the bar up the street two nights later, and another guy I know who's, like, local in the neighborhood also writes graffiti. He just comes up to me, and he's like, hey, hey, MJ. I was like, what's that, bud? And he's like, I got this great graffiti stuff. It's going to get rid of that. You don't have to worry about it. I'll bring it by tomorrow. You're totally fine. We're going to cover it up. We're going to clean it. We're going to take care of this for you. And I was like, okay. (laughs) I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And then I come to the coffee shop and there's this tag just like sitting on the side of the coffee shop. I was like, oh, I guess that's what he was talking about. Like half of the fucking neighborhood graffiti writers came to clean it off for us. Because they Pillars were like of the community. Well, they so were like, sweet. this dude should have known this place was off limits. There are he unwritten rules. There are definite unwritten rules in graffiti. Uh, you know, no homes, places of worship. Uh, it, this is a, this can be a stress. Small businesses, you know, it's that's kind of fair game. I, I as a kid, I didn't give a shit, but. <laughs> now, now that I'm an adult, I'd be like, hey, you know, this guy's busting his ass. To, I, I would be a very ineffectual graffiti writer now. Uh, but de- definitely homes, places of worship, I think, are generally understood by graffiti writers to, to kind of be off limits. Yeah, I just thought it was cool that, like, I mean, because, again, like, That's the awesome. owner didn't fucking care. All of us were like, oh, kind of sucks. Whatever. 
but it was the, the whole but no, like all they all came and they were like, we're gonna clean this yeah. off, and like brought a power washer and all their graffiti yeah. stuff and like got it off. It's like, oh, that's sweet, thank you. It's like when I love seeing like a mur- a beautiful mural in an area where there's graffiti everywhere and there's no tags on the beautiful. There's no mural. tags on like, it. Oh no, we're not touching that. What are you talking about? Or they yeah. know the person who. Painted or they know the person it. who painted. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Brian's so, got some murals like that. <laughs> yeah. There's a new one. I shout out to Brian. This is uh, since we're we've been talking so much about graffiti and we talked about him earlier. Shout out to Brian and scamming that like rich couple that owns that building. Yeah. Into, he he. So there's this this rich like couple that does event planning stuff and they own this building. Um, with a it has a big brick three story side to it that's just empty. And Brian managed to convince them. He's like, hey, let me do a um a mural to thank essential workers. And then just did that shit up in like It's just total, fucking like, straight up Soviet. communism. It's yeah. like straight up like Soviet communist like it's power like, to the world. There's workers a globe are. and then a bunch of workers and it says essential workers make the world work. And then thank you in like 14 different languages. Oh, but it's, yeah. the wall is bright fucking red yeah it's unbelievably soviet (laughs) did y'all see did you see that the fucking chief of police the fucking pittsburgh police department was like do you see have you seen chief i don't know fucking fat pig bad haircut yeah um wandering around during covid he's going to different neighborhoods and he took a picture in front of the mural and brian like took like quote to me to that and was like uh yeah i didn't include you motherfuckers in that for a reason (laughs) (laughs) Because Brian's like a Marxist-Leninist, like, <laughs> like a communist. It's fucking awesome. But yeah, no, he, I thought, yeah, I just, I do love that, that like nobody really fucks with his, with his murals because they know him. <laughs> so speaking of like graffiti stuff, I, we were going to get to this eventually, but do you want to talk about Seattle in 99? Yeah, so that was, uh, again, a, t- a time when graffiti writers got to, Got to really have their day. I met up with a bunch of friends. I mean, I didn't even know what was going on. It was the WTO, uh, the meeting of the multi... Uh, World Trade Organization. Yeah, yeah. All the corporations and uh, uh, meeting for, you know, discuss globalization. And I don't even really know what the agenda was. I guess it was the, the, tr- the trade negotiations for the coming, like... It was, it was, a lot of it was trade negotiations surrounding uh, what you would deem, like, developing third world countries. This was essentially laying out the, like, we're entering the new millennium, we're going to have, like, global trade deals. Here's how the United States and all the other, like, Western European countries are going to big dick countries like Sri Lanka right. being like, this okay, is what I, this is what like I always generally understood them to be up to, but yeah, I've never, you, you put it very succinctly. Thank you. Yeah. So just, it was Bill Clinton and the rest of the, the Western European countries in America, just like fucking over the developing world by being like, you're going to give us cheap shit. And like in exchange, we'll let you participate in the world economy. And we won't, marginally. we won't send mercs into, uh, into your country. And we won't just, like, totally cut you off from any sort of, like... Or slap sanctions on you, whatever. Pretty much. So that's what that shit was. And you got to be there for it, right? Yeah, I was... Uh, I was uh, uh, me and my friends all skipped school that day, and uh, I went downtown because we saw uh, that the police had been, like, cordoning off streets and stuff, and we're like... 
well, you can't drive down the streets, but you can still walk down the streets. So that's cool. Hey, let's go down there and, you know, uh, let's all take, you know, spray paint and markers and stuff like that. Yeah, when we got down there, it was still very, it was still generally uh, uh, tame. People were just kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, had their signs and they were in their kind of, I may be misremembering this. I haven't like looked at footage in a long time. But so it was generally calm in the beginning of the day. And as the delegates or like the, um, well, what would you call it? The people that were, that were actually. Yeah, they were like the, the delegates, the representatives. Yeah. So, so the representatives were arriving and people were like, battering their cars and shit with their signs. And that's when the cops started to get wild on the crowd. And it's this, this whole year watching protests in Seattle, you know, hearkened back to this uh, event in 99 where I just remember it firsthand. I wasn't down there this year because I've got kids now and there was no way in hell I was going downtown when like motherfuckers were pulling guns out on people. And I'm talking about the cops specifically. Uh, like they they were getting too hot down there, and yeah, it was again with kids. I uh, I'm a different person now, but in '99 I was uh, uh, down there in the thick of it, and they immediately started shooting flashbangs and tear gas, and again all the classics that the SPD are known for now. I guess all the cops are known, um, and yeah, they did the the the. The now very popular technique of cordoning off protesters and trapping them on blocks. Kettling, yes. What is it? Yeah, kettling. Kettling. Kettling, yes, exactly. Uh, And so, yeah, I remember that. And I remember it all uh, reminded me of 1999 when I was watching that shit this year. And they were just employing the same things. And oddly enough, what I remember about the, the 1999 protests was that I don't believe... I think everybody that was arrested was not only uh, uh, like freed of charges, but there was a big settlement with the city too for actually having been arrested. They paid out a lot of settlement money, which is shocking to think of happening today, where protesters are getting like twenty-year facing twenty-year bids for you know being near a burning cop car or something. So it's pretty crazy to think that was a kind of a a, a difference. I guess yeah. So I I watched um I watched Cairo Ky- did a like f- hour long um special on the on the WTO protests the like right after and they showed all of their footage from then and like yeah it's crazy cuz like the cops don't know what to do like they've never seen this before this right. is the first time they're seeing it and then now this year you know you've got fucking protests all over the country and the cops are just like old hat we know what to do with this pull out the fucking tanks yeah, now they pull got out tanks. the fucking right yeah like the body piercing fucking or the the armor piercing bullets they're or whatever the fuck like America taser shields man like there is yeah it's crazy well it's it's almost like it's almost like like cute right like how fucking like poorly equipped and like few of them there are because like seattle was unique because it marked the essentially high the high watermark of the anti-globalization and environmental movements of the 90s and it was unique because prior to that there really hadn't been any large scale like street battles protests since like the 60s and 70s the cops were totally unprepared for it It was like a completely different generation of officers at that point and nobody expected the turnout in seattle to be 
what it was. It was sort of a really, I mean, if you want to get like sappy and romantic about it, it was probably one of the single greatest showings of like inter group solidarity the famous image of the like teamster like burly mustache teamsters guys standing next to women dressed as sea turtles well and the key the key thing i remember about that day was that people who were initially initially um shouting at other people for breaking windows and stuff there was kind of a uh like a groundswell of of a shift toward, wait a minute, this is fucked up. We're not doing anything. They're tear gassing us. Then people started throwing stuff back. If not outright participating in destruction of property, they were, they, uh, people that were down there initially just to peacefully stand with their signs became much more vocal, much more physically. They were swinging their signs. These were old ladies, you know, not to, you know, Cast dispersion against old women, but but they, they I <laughs> not don't, known I for don't, their revolutionary. Yeah, well, them. I don't think they went down there that day with the intent to swing it like a fucking bat. And by that point, the cops had fucking, you know, gone on such a t- they had just they had, they didn't know how to face. Like you said, it was this whole it was this new form of uh, of revolutionary protest, violent, I guess to a certain extent. There was property damage, and it did change something. They didn't. The negotiations, uh, if not outright fail, I mean, I, I don't know if you say they failed in that regard, but they couldn't come to an agreement during that that meeting. That um, it stalled. It, it stalled, stalled the, the talks agreement. by the sheer Actually, size they of ever. the protest and the, and the force of the protest. That that organization, the WTO, before it morphed into the G eight, they actually never after Seattle, weren't ever able to like have a complete meeting because of the protests. With, with, with how this, this uh, protest was just so, so wildly different from, from protests of recent decades. And this, has, this goes back to something, MJ, that you sent. Um, and it was, it was sent in the group chat like several days ago, um, but it was a uh, shorter, it wasn't the hour long video showing the like kind of clip by clip shot or like the, the shot by shot action of the protest. It was the one kind of explaining um, how the 99 protests were really a watershed moment in terms of how police responded to protests. Not even in terms of, I mean, they were a watershed moment in terms of how people protested, but it more was a hallmark of how police came to treat protests. And there are two people in that that short seven minute video that um, there's there's a professor of um i think it's psychology yeah it might actually yeah, no, psychology, it's psychology. Or sociology. Yeah, there, there was the sociology one but the yeah, his group the, psychology the group psychology he mentions that um going back to what you said justin that people were there for a peaceful protest and they were generally all of that mindset where they were like this we are we are here peacefully and exercising this right and everything we know now everything we've come to learn about group psychology and how people respond to assuming that they're in this pe- they're there or somewhere in a peaceful context and they are met with this aggressive offensive resistance by police um it is not it, they will respond with yeah aggression. they will respond with aggression and non-compliance 
And there, the, the, the guy who was police chief that day is on recording saying, um, I mean, this, this, Norm Stanford. yeah, yeah, yeah. Norm Stanford, yep. he quit after the protests mm -hmm. and is, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're aware. Yeah. Has uh, apparently dedicated himself to, to, uh, police reform, but he talks about, I did not know that. Yeah. Actually. Apparently. Yeah. He became like a professional activist for police reform. Oh. Now he, he still was like very much of the like, well, it would have been peaceful if it wasn't for the okay. anarchists. Yeah, I mean, he was the one that fucking let loose the, the dogs. In, in yeah, but his whole thing was what they did by responding with force was escalate things and that like the police should not have access to weapons like well, that. Well, then something that's funny in uh, 2001, uh, in February 2001, uh, at in Pioneer Square neighborhood, uh, the kind of old town of Seattle, um, there was the Mardi Gras. There was a Mardi Gras celebration that turned. It started with some bar fights, turned into an outright riot in the streets. I was down there with a friend. I was, I was, I was in all these things. Uh, I was down there with a friend. <laughs> this guy got beaten to death in the street. Oh Me and my, my friend God. helped him out of the street that night. We didn't realize that he died, or I don't even know. We found out the next day that he had passed, um, but. That night, the cops sat on the perimeter of this massive free-for-all of people just going nuts, drunken people, you know, fighting, and brass knuckles. Some, the guy that died, he got hit with brass knuckles just over and over. It was just savagery. Uh, and the cops didn't uh -huh. do shit because they had gotten such backlash for overdoing it at the WTO protest one year, like, in change prior that they just sat back and they're like, fucking tear yourselves apart, man. We're not gonna, we're not gonna get yelled at in the press, baby. We already did that once. Yeah. And so it, yeah, it, it well, just the swung mayor, the other way. The mayor, like, I can't remember his name, but like uh, he got just destroyed after the Greg dining Nichols, who was it? Uh, all I, was all I know is that video cited that, that the, the uh, what, what was his name one more time, Justin? Uh, Norm Stamper. Norm Stamper, yeah. He said they had, I think, um, 900 available officers to man the protest. That's it. They had 900 officers to man the protests. And what the, the other half of it was, and, and this is what you were, the, you kind of touched on this, Owen. Um, the other half of it was that f after the 60s and the civil rights movement, police and protests kind of came to this sort of harmony of. What, what I can't remember the term they use, but it, it's 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 the, the it's the phenomenon of communicating with the police and organizing a protest. So you show up, you have a planned route. The police kind of stay and make sure that your planned route is clear, so that you can safely go through it, and then it comes to an end. That didn't and and ninety nine was really kind of the first big example of. Just, a leaderlessness. Yeah, leaderlessness and just um, a, a, an, a, an understandable um, refusal or, or um, disinterest in communicating with the police, at the very least. I say disinterest, and that's putting a nice spin on it, but not wanting to fucking talk to the police. Well, I guess what I was going to say is, like, so about, you know, 10 years after the WTO, um, I was in the G20 protests in Pittsburgh, and like they, uh, the, that was the first use of the LRAD, the long range acoustic device oh, shit. In the, yeah. on domestic soil. And like, 
kind of any more like at the end of the three days like the sound became something you just kind of got used to but the first time i heard it i was like what was it like was it like a high piercing thing it was high it it was like a mixture of like sirens and like wait like siren wailing and like high pitch noises and like it modulated frequency um it definitely hurts your fucking ears like you had to like cover your ears up or you would like lose your hearing for a while after um and there but, are like residents that live there that are experiencing things obviously because it's just they're blasting the sound out and then you can't do that and you know, yeah, like you can't, di- yeah. directly and, and have it like focused on one person, obviously. Right. Well, I mean, because that was one of the things that struck me about this, like chi- this, like Cairo, like hour long Cairo thing was that they um, a lot of people who got shot with fucking rubber bullets in the face were like just going shopping or like I guess there was some action like basically in Capitol Hill right after the shit downtown on like Thursday or whatever a bunch of residents like started gathering in the streets and the cops showed up and like there's a video of this guy being like what the fuck are you doing here I'm not a fucking protester I fucking live here and he goes up to cops yeah and this cop shoots him with a tear gas canister like point black range point blank range it's in it's crazy Cause like, again, like, you know, I've been going to protest now since I, since the Iraq war, like you get used to the kind of like violence that you see, but then you think about like, this all started in Seattle. Like this, this didn't happen before Seattle. Like it was very much this, like, here are the cops, here are the protesters. They had protest zones. Yeah. And like Seattle was the first time where people were like, no. <laughs> well, again, Fuck there was you. a real, there was a real bubbling over of, uh, like you had said, Nick. You know, uh, people who who didn't go down there that intention with the intention that day of of doing anything physical were were you know swinging their signs and and at the very least having to run from rubber bullets and tear gas. I mean, it just shows you because especially like, again, uh, like, you know, re- like watching all this news media stuff about it, like they talk about like violence and anarchists and whatever. And like what the footage that I watched really illustrated is that like Seattle just solidified that like the state has the monopoly on violence. The state is allowed to perform violence against people without consequence, but like individuals who are responding to social violence reacting against like inanimate objects are beyond the pale like you so you you have business insurance like businesses (laughs) are required to have insurance and this is not a case of you walking out of the front of your store with a golf club and smashing your own store windows so like you pay like a 250 500 thousand dollar deductible but you're a business like making money especially if you're just like especially to like property because well, it was owners. like a bank at a starbucks yeah, like, <laughs> i love seeing those shots of dudes with like you know their their cosplay soldier militia merc gear 
standing in front of like a Jack in the Box or a Walgreens <laughs> or something. I'll protect this with my fucking life. And it's like, damn, and dude. It's like, right. honestly, that is American culture. It's so perfect. Like, it's such a perfect snapshot of America yeah. right there. I'll defend this brand to the death. <laughs> this brand is my family. This brand is my family. This brand is my king. <laughs> yeah. My Burger King. Hail to the Burger Fuhrer. Just cutting their, their wrists on the battlefield. So, Justin, thank you for yeah, coming Justin, on. Justin, yes, thank you so much for coming and talking to us, Justin. Thank you for having me, you guys. Thank you for telling us about Seattle. Um, I would love to come visit someday and tour the Amazon ball sack with you. Uh, if we can get, an I checked. Yeah, there's three right. of them. The the there's three. Yeah, the spheres have metastasized. Yeah, the Amazon sclerotic <laughs> ball sack. Oh, maybe I did. Maybe they added one. I didn't know. Yeah, so... Who knows? Who knows, Who knows what the man of the future know, will look like? should probably get that he's, checked he's, out. he's very shifty, this Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> he's got three balls. <laughs>